Most of you will know by now that I'm often traveling the world, going from country to country. And in 2018, I traveled to Montenegro with a friend of mine. We landed in Dubrovnik and drove up to Kotor to embrace the lifestyle of working and traveling. Back in 2018, I wasn't so well-versed in traveling, but I did know that good coffee would be hard to come by. And some months before this, I was given some samples of a mushroom blend coffee and knew that this would be the perfect time to try them, given the fact that there was only going to be instant coffee in the Airbnb, which which was a no-go at the time. I got up at 6am, I boiled the kettle excitedly, ready to try the coffee that contained all of these functional mushrooms that were set to give me nootropic-like benefits that were going to help me with my cognition and focus for my work this morning and also give me anti-inflammatory benefits that support my immune system that my regular coffee just wasn't giving me. Only to be disappointed at how gross it was and I unfortunately didn't even finish the samples. It was genuinely that bad. And you know there's two different types of people. If you ask someone, they don't have the option for good coffee and they can either go no coffee or bad coffee. I am someone who would choose bad coffee usually, but in this case, I didn't even finish it, which is why I absolutely love Windersea Coffee, who have done the impossible and have made mushroom-infused coffee that tastes incredible. They refused to compromise on flavor and have packed in a ton of incredible ingredients that give me the cognitive and physical benefits that I was after, but allow me to still enjoy my coffee. So if you're ready to get more more out of your morning coffee, our friends at Windersea are giving Simply Fit listeners a huge 25% off all of their products and subscriptions, including their incredible mushroom-infused coffee. Just use the code SIMPLYFIT at the checkout and you can thank me later. And now on to today's episode. Hello team and welcome to episode 449 of the Simply Fit podcast. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Stephanie Riles. Stephanie is a registered dietitian, personal trainer, and mindset transformation coach. It's easy to think that when you go through a health and fitness journey, it's all about getting the best training program and nutrition plan in place. In reality, it's far more than that. And if you've ever embarked on a journey before, you've probably come up against challenges around your beliefs. Maybe you've self-sabotaged and probably found that a lot of the challenges are in your mind rather than your body. And this is exactly what Stephanie and I discussed today. In this episode, you can expect to learn how to spot self-sabotage behaviors and start the process of removing them, how to create an identity for yourself that you truly want and helps you achieve your goals, along with how Stephanie manages being a woman of color in an industry where the representation is as low as 2%. So without further ado, Stephanie Riles. Stephanie Rouse, welcome to the show. How are you today? I am doing fantastic. I'm really glad to be here. I am happy to have you here and I'm excited to get down to business and discuss our topic of conversation today. But before we do, can you give the listeners a bit of context about who you are and what it is that you do? So my name is Stephanie Riles. I am a registered dietitian, a personal trainer, and a mindset transformation coach. I host a 16-week program where I coach female perfectionists to beat self-sabotage and lose the weight for good. And I really focus on fitness mindset. It doesn't matter what the strategy is, but I really focus on your identity and who you think you are in your fitness journey and how that relates to food, fitness, and the scale. Got you. And where did the journey all begin for you? Was it off the back of your own personal journey with health and fitness? Was it an interest you always had? It's so interesting because I graduated with a degree in nutrition thinking that I wanted to work in clinical nutrition. And I did do that for a while, but it wasn't really feeding my soul. I had this desire to really wake up in the morning and love what I got to do that day. And I was not doing that at the time. I also was going through some personal struggles. I didn't call it a depression at the time, but I think I was really going through some things mentally. And I just literally started with Oprah and I literally was in my closet and I said, I'm just going to do what she says to do. She said, gratitude's going to change my life. I just dug into that. Every person that she had on her Super Soul Sunday I would follow them and I would just be in my closet and I would have my intentional time, which now with my clients, I call my power hour. And I would pray and meditate and decide what it is that I wanted out of life. And that ended up changing my life. And then I coupled that because it changed my life with my degree in nutrition, with my you know acumen in understanding the science of nutrition with the ladies that I coach, because I realized that the science of what to do 
was great. It was really interesting to me, but it's not what my clients needed in order to transform mm. their life. So I switched from like going at it from a very science-based perspective to more of a behavior health and like mental perspective. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And it's funny when you go through qualification, you're learning all these things, you think that maybe the most intellectual discoveries are the thing that are going to break through with your clients. And then you realize that you have to take that and separate it into a thousand pieces until it's digestible for the everyday person because of partly they don't need to know it and partly maybe they don't care or partly it's too complicated, right? So it's interesting that when you're digging into it and you're finding it all fascinating and then you come to real life application, it's a completely different thing, right? Right. It's actually how you can take your knowledge and then break it down so that it is very simple. They don't have to have a PhD in nutrition. And that's what I tell a lot of people too. Like I coach perfectionists. So they want to know all the things. They they have researched all the diets. And I'm like, how did that help you? You know, you need to be drinking more water. Why are you not like putting all of your effort there versus like researching all this other stuff? So yeah, I think it's the application. So people say like knowledge is power. It's actually not. Implementation is power. Like when you can take what you know and actually do it consistently to get a result, that's the power and that's where the transformation is. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And talk to me about the people that you work with. So it's female perfectionists who also grew up on 90s music from my understanding as well. Yes, talk to yeah. me about why you chose that area of the world and that audience to focus on. I think I'm pretty good at organizing information. And so while people are talking to me, I am categorizing what they say. And so I have talked to and coached enough women to see like certain patterns in their behavior, in the things that they say. And so I realized, oh, this is perfectionism. You have really high expectations. And then when you don't meet those unrealistic expectations, you think you fail. And so you quit or you are all or nothing. And they say those things, too. And they can self-identify. A lot of people can self-identify as I'm a perfectionist. And I used to think that is, I just want things to be the way they're supposed to be. And I thought that was a good (laughs) thing, but I realized that it hindered me in in my own life. And I see that it's hindering my clients as well. So I think that it's very easy for me to break that down and for them to see themselves when I'm talking about, this is how this is showing up. And they're like, oh my God, that's me. And it's very important that they understand and they can self-identify. So then I can say, hey, here's how you reframe that. Here's how you stop procrastinating by over-researching and just get started on the task and how much better that's going to help you feel and how much closer that's helping you get to your goal. So I love it because I am a perfectionist as well. Um, And so it's very interesting how my brain works. And it's like, I feel like I know them so well. I'm like, I can read you like a book. And they love that because they feel seen and understood. Absolutely. And I always say, and I've already said about a thousand times in this podcast, the best people to help those type of people, the people that they can resonate with the most are the people who have been those people as well. Right. Right. And I think that when you go to that area of your audience where they feel understood, they feel heard, and you almost know their problems before they can even express them, or you've got solutions to their challenges before they can even go through them, that's the best place for them to be because if they're like, wow, someone gets me, someone understands me, rather than you saying, okay, well, you know, potentially putting a lot of information in front of them rather than applying the application because someone who might not understand a perfectionist might be like, well, here's all the information because you want to understand every single part. But the reality is that might actually lead them to even more procrastination that they're already doing. Whereas you know, okay, we need to create the shortest path to action and implementation as possible. So that's why it's perfect that you focus on those people specifically because you've gone through that journey. And I'm curious to understand how do they get over that level of over intellectualizing things, really wanting to understand all the data and the research and that move towards action. How do you get them to travel down that path? Is it simply presenting the information in front of them and saying, okay, this is what's going to take you there? Or is there more to break down than that? I have an entire mindset curriculum inside of my coaching program. So they have a private app that I have and I literally walk them through every day. On the dashboard, it says, here's what you do today. You either do that or you reschedule it for another day. And it keeps them focused on the present because right now is all that you have. A lot of perfectionists have a lot of tendency to want to think about the future. And that brings up a lot of anxiety. And so if I can help you to take action right now today, if I can help you to stay present. And also I have very short mindset activities for them to do most days of the week. And of course, we're coaching on the coaching calls as well. 
and I'm helping them see their own thoughts. I'm helping them to see their own self-sabotage and in the work of spending intentional time by yourself, what I call your power hour. It doesn't have to be an hour, but it is intentional time for them to think on purpose. And a lot of us resist thinking, making decisions in our health Uh journey. When you do that intentionally, repetitively, then when life is happening, your brain can go back to those powerful thoughts because it's practiced it a lot. And so that is where we start to think and break down the barriers of who I thought I was. I coached a lady this week on the fact of like, she's like, I'm not an athlete. I'm not an athlete. I'm like, well, what do you think an athlete is? And she's like, well, I think of Kobe Bryant. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, there are levels here. Uh, Like, what if being an athlete just means I'm self-disciplined, I trust myself, I'm consistent. And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, I could see myself doing that. I'm like, there we go. So now instead of approaching your fitness journey as I'm not an athlete, I could never do, you know, a side plank. You're seeing yourself differently and it's like, okay, I don't have to label myself as a person that doesn't do X, Y, and Z. Maybe I can think of myself as someone who is a quote unquote athlete, because I don't know how you get to looking athletic without an athlete mindset and being able to keep it at some level, right? There's levels to this, but I think it's just really important that you think on purpose, you make decisions in your health journey and you recognize your self-sabotage so that you can catch it in the moment. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more, especially that identity piece as well and not aligning the athlete with, like you said, there are levels to this game. Right. Kobe Bryant is the extent of an athlete, right? Like bring it right back down to the level of where Kobe Bryant started, for example. Okay, he decided to look after his health and wellness because he knew that would give him an edge in the sport that he was playing. And maybe it was just not even, you know, that complicated. It wasn't that deep to begin with. It was literally just, okay, I love basketball and I'm going to play, you know? And then it just started to evolve and evolve from there. So like you said, if you can get people down to the level of like, okay, to begin with, it's just being a little bit more intentional about your exercise, looking after your body, self-discipline, as you said. I think people can go a long way with that. <laughs> like you said, right. not kind of put themselves into that like top 1% of athletes. They can start off in the top 100% or top 99% and then pretty much travel their way up. I like that a lot. And you mentioned self-sabotage and that's a big part of the work you do as well. Self-sabotage, helping people lose weight and keep it off for good as well, which is a big part of what I'm about as well, making sure that it's not just this short-term thing. And then, you know, you've got people yo-yoing for years. Talk to me about that self-sabotage piece. How do you get people to identify that? And what are some of the ways that maybe it comes up in our life that we don't actually recognize? Well, I have a whole, one of our coaching sessions is identifying your self-sabotage. Because even in calling it out, being able to identify it at the time is really important. Oh, I'm Mm. procrastinating right now. There's power in just separating who you are from the thing that's happening I am not a procrastinator, right? I have a habit of procrastinating. That's what I got there from Mel Robbins. But I think that being able to recognize it and there are some themes that come up with a lot of people, but I do think it can be very individualized. It can be just a thought of or a belief I'm not consistent or I'm not a self-disciplined person. I don't manage my time well. It can also be overweighing yourself or avoiding the scale completely or it could be this thought of well I ate a cheesecake on Wednesday and now I have to start over on Monday right Mm. and so it comes up in so many different ways and the more that you can identify oh this is how I self-sabotage and then the next time you see it it's like oh there it is I can now I do this little visualization exercise with my clients so they can see that they're the chooser they are the picker of the thought And so you get to choose. So, so what this thought comes up in your mind that I'm going to eat this entire cheesecake. That's just the thought. I can separate myself from that and I can think about why is this really important to me that I exhibit my self-control right now? And I think a lot of people are avoiding doing the work. And I think this is one of the greatest questions is if you have been yo-yo dieting, going back and forth. It's like, you know how to lose weight. You don't necessarily know how to maintain a healthy weight for you. Mm -hmm. What is the work, the inner work that you're avoiding doing? What is that? And spend more time in your self-trust, your self-worth, your boundaries. It always comes down to these big virtues that sometimes people struggle with 
that then manifests itself with their food and in their health journey. Yeah, I like that a lot. Cause it can be sometimes so conflicting as well. Cause one reason why someone might not get in shape is because realistically, they don't know how to maintain their exercise routine. And what that comes back to is the fear of not spending enough time with their kids, right? They're like, okay, well, if I have to go out and do that hour of exercise on top of all the other responsibilities I have, I might not spend enough time with their kids. And that on paper looks like something that's super reasonable. So then it isn't a questionable thing, but that in a form, and when I say this out loud, it's going to be quite strange to people. But if I tell you that you spending time with your kids is self-sabotage, people are like, what? No, you must be crazy. But at the same time, that's the type of thing that you're talking about, right? Sometimes self-sabotage seems obvious. It's like, oh, well, you know, every single time I make progress in my journey, I go and quote unquote, treat myself. And then I end up gaining those two kilos. And then it spirals into me regaining the weight and starting from square run. That's an obvious form of self-sabotage, but the spending time with kids or the I have identified with being someone who loves to treat my family or to eat the food that my mom makes or whatever. Those are other forms of self-sabotage I don't think people recognize because they're so kind of, you know, disguised by actual nice things and genuine things that seem pretty reasonable to do on a day-to-day basis. But those are actually sometimes the things that hold us back. So can you speak on that a little bit more, those self-sabotaging behaviors that actually look like they could be advantageous, but they're actually the things holding us back. Yeah, I think that's really good. And when you said that, I thought of culture. So sometimes Mm. like cultural things can come and just be a part of my family. Like this is what we always do. And this is how we show love to our family. And I look at self-sabotage as either every time you make a decision, you are either making a vote in your highest and best self or what I call like your CEO self or against that. So I think that I feel like everything is figure outable and consistency really does come down to troubleshooting. So it's like, okay, what if my family does have a culture and tradition of like lots of really rich foods and like overindulging? How can I still really enjoy my family, still really enjoy like our cultural foods, but then also show up in my highest and best self? That's going to look different for each person in each season. And that might change. There's an ebb and flow to it. So I think that like literally troubleshooting, which is just thinking it through, like in making time each week. And this is like a really important, very simple thing that I have my clients do is like reset every single week and remember, oh yeah, why is this important to me? And if you do that and you like commit to that, you adopt that, you'll never have two bad weeks in a row. If you really can catch yourself, it's not about never falling off. It's about how quickly can I recover from when I'm not showing up in my highest and best energy. So I think even just like identifying the fact that there is a cultural component or I am allowing my kids to dictate what I'm eating every day, like that acknowledgement and then thinking through that, like everything's figure outable, like we can figure this out. Stephanie, so much of this revolves around self-awareness. And I feel that we have to have some type of insight into ourselves before we can even get to this stage. So I want to backtrack a little bit and ask you what your best tactics are in terms of helping people build that self-awareness. Of course, having a coach to see your blind spots is amazing. And I think that's a big value of coaching. But at the same time, that's just going to be part of the work, right? The best people to discover their blind spots are quite often going to be ourselves, right? But we have to look inside in order to see them in the first place. So can you talk a little bit about how people can discover those blind spots and build that self-awareness that they need in order to start questioning themselves and doing those weekly resets? Yeah, I think... The answers are always in the questions. So Mm. if you're finding answers that you don't like, you're just asking the wrong questions. And so (laughs) I would prefer people to spend their time, again, like doing that troubleshooting. Troubleshooting can be asking myself questions. And I actually teach my clients, how do I ask myself powerful questions? How do I self-coach? That's just a skill that you can actually learn. And so they also learn it from me because After 16 weeks, especially if we're in a one-on-one program, my clients start talking and using my language. And I absolutely (laughs) love that just by proxy of being influenced by someone who has a higher level of thinking, you start to, okay, adopt their language and their way of doing. So I think that is really important that you understand that you can learn the skill of questioning yourself and asking yourself powerful questions. And in the pursuit of that answer you find absolute gold because you can build a better relationship with yourself. And that is going to influence 
the outside that's going to influence your health journey and the way that you deal with food. And this is not, there's never an end to this process. I think so mm-hmm. many people are like, oh yeah, once I lose the weight, then I'm going to move on. It's like, no, this is, there's no finish line. Even when you get to quote unquote maintenance, sometimes you'll still notice, oh, okay, I'm going to have to pull it back here. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is, I want people to think about it as a relationship with yourself. So as long as you have breath in your body, you're still discovering yourself. You're still able to ask yourself more questions. There's still another level of thinking and there's no finish line. So I think to answer your question, just understanding how to ask yourself powerful questions and in the pursuit of that answer is where you find yourself and your like a better relationship with your food and fitness. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that piece that you mentioned in terms of there is really no finish line both when it comes to your personal development journey and your health and wellness journey as well. Because of realistically, I think I heard this some time ago on a podcast where they were like, you know, when you start that journey of self-awareness, you've literally only got the choice of going deeper. Because if you stay where you are, now you have all of this awareness of why you're maybe not doing all these things, but now you feel terrible because you can see right in front of you what you need to do, but you can't take yourself to that point of action. So you can't really go back to naivety. Once your eyes are open, your eyes are open. So now you have to live in, and this is what a lot of people do when they go down the route of continuing with like personal development course after personal development course or book after book, trying to find this new answer where they're just resisting doing the work, which probably in your words is another form of self-sabotage, right? Whereas realistically, you've only got the choice to continue traveling down that path and taking action. Otherwise, your eyes have been opened, but you're just looking around and seeing kind of the chaos and carnage play out without actually having any solution to that issue. Whereas the solution only requires going deeper. But the challenge with that is then it requires those difficult conversations with your family about, you know, not being able to consume the food the same way or feeling like a bad parent for the first time you have to tell your children to you know, go play by themselves whilst mom or dad does a workout or something along those lines. So yeah, I think that that's a really powerful piece in what you just said there. Yeah, I definitely think that understanding like your own self, like if you don't get anything out of this interview, it is your relationship with your food and your fitness comes from within. Consistency is just about making decisions. It's about troubleshooting. And it's really about knowing yourself and how can you manage your mind, your thoughts, your emotions, and how all of that kind of plays in with your food and fitness. Yeah, 100%. And I saw you write in a post as well that the real work is done on the inside when it comes to your health and fitness journey. And I couldn't agree more with that. When I first started my journey as a coach and a personal trainer, I was like, okay, perfect. I'm going to put together the best training plan and the best nutrition, thinking it was going to get people the best possible results. And then I ended up finding that with almost every single person I worked with, I was in 99% of people, I ran into a wall because if there was something in their mind or in their behaviors that was stopping them, nothing to do with their training plan. And this is when people tell me, I'm a foodie or I love food too much or I don't like exercise. I don't buy it. It's like everyone likes food. Most people, you know, some people do enjoy exercise more than others, but to a degree, you can find a form of exercise you like. So realistically, like you said, dig beneath the surface and ask yourself, why is this happening? It's not that you just do not like exercise and you just love food so much. That puts just about 99% of people in, you know, in the same group. So realistically, like you said, I think it's a lot of inside work as well. And as you mentioned, asking those powerful questions is a good one. Do you have any things aside? There's two things you've mentioned now. So asking those powerful questions and also having the power hour as well. Are there any other things you encourage your clients to do from an internal perspective to help them on an external perspective? So one of my clients, probably most favorite thing, and this is so simple. And the whole thing is like all of it's really simple right? But they like listening to something inspirational. So I will have them listen to something inspirational and just reflect on it and just say, okay, how could you apply this to your life? And it's something that I still do. Like when I drop my kids off from school and school, I will listen to something inspirational and it literally sparks so many ideas. I get business ideas. I get other ideas for my clients and for myself. And It just takes a little seed, a little intention. And then if you are intentional about, okay, what is my goal? How can I operate in my highest and best self today? That can be the catalyst to you thinking more intentionally. And then, you know, we go through the things like gratitude and like I teach them how to make powerful statements about themselves and I teach it as if it was a bridge, right? So there is the typical affirmations where you it's a really strong statement 
And sometimes people just can't get their energy behind that. Like they can't just say like, I am this because they don't mm -hmm. believe that. And yep. the whole point of saying really strong statements is really so you can feel and practice having the energy of having the thing. So I speak about it as, okay, where am I? Maybe I'm at a two in my belief that I can trust myself in my health journey, but how could I get to a two? What would be a two? And we can just outline like what would what would be the next step, right? So if I'm at a two, how can I get to a three? If I'm at a three, how can I get to a four? And we are literally outlining, okay, what would that look like? And silence is golden. And I always tell my clients like, do not be afraid of silence. There is a point where your brain can like, you know, you can get your service level answers. And then there's like the own. Um, the silence where your brain is kind of like, uh, and then you kind of like look over in the left-hand corner of your brain and you're like, huh? That is so important for you to think beyond surface level about yourself and about your health journey. That in and of itself. So I do think that like understanding how you can inch your way to increasing your identity in your fitness journey, being able to not only say, like sometimes when people say affirmations, they will say things that they already believe that are true. It's kind of like, okay, that's cool. But how are you going to stretch yourself, right? Uh, What's an uncomfortable statement that you like to believe? I get to decide what I want to believe about myself in my fitness journey. What is that? And if that's super uncomfortable on that bridge, where am I at? And how can I get like one step closer? Can I get my energy around that? Can I practice Thinking that thought, can I practice showing up like that next time I have the opportunity to uh -huh. show up as a four instead of a three, right? And then you build evidence. And then we look and reflect and say, oh, I actually did do that, right? So now I can let go of this story that I'm not this. I've actually transcended that. And now I'm not a three, I'm a four now. So then how can I get from a four to a five, right? And so it's just understanding where your blocks are what stories you've been telling yourself. Now let's poke some holes in those stories. And then how does that help you to show up in your fitness journey? So if I'm thinking I'm not that great with my time, right? If I'm not great with my time, it doesn't matter if I have the best meal plan or if I have the best workout regimen. If I don't feel like I'm really good with my time or I can manage my time, I'm going to squander my time. So I just think it's about inching your way to a new identity. And again, I think, again, powerful questions are really the answer. Yeah, that's huge. I love that piece on jumping from a two to a three as well, because it was just like your client said earlier, is that she thought that athlete was Kobe Bryant and that's the 10 out of 10 scale, right? And realistically right. where she was at was just taking herself from maybe level one athlete to level two athlete, which is nowhere near Kobe Bryant level, right? But she had this kind of distorted belief that that was where she needed to take that jump. So I think that, as you mentioned, well, what does that look like on a realistic basis? And as you mentioned, start to build trust and reinforcing that identity and not only reinforcing a new identity, but recognizing, and as you mentioned, poking holes in the past identity and recognizing that's not me anymore, right? Like I have showed up with enough evidence to suggest that I am at this level now. And as you mentioned, you build that level of that trust, that level of self-confidence. And if you keep reinforcing that and taking those jumps, those manageable jumps, I think it's really, really powerful. And I guess the one thing that I would say that maybe with perfectionists, how do you get them from two questions in this, how do you stop them from getting super disheartened if they break their trust in any instance, especially if perfectionism is so important, they'll probably not want to fall short. And how do you stop people from setting those big jumps from trying to go from two to nine, which I find is a massive thing within our generation at this moment in time. Someone said to me on a podcast in the past that we live in an Amazon Prime generation and everyone wants something yesterday, right? So how do we stop people from making those enormous jumps and also giving themselves such a harsh time if they can't reach the standards that they set them for themselves. Yeah, I think goal setting is also a skill. So you can okay. teach someone, how do I make realistic goals? And when I see someone and they come to me and they haven't been working out, but then I'm going to work out five times, I feel like it doesn't seem like a lot to them. It's like, yeah, I can do that. But it's like, yeah, you haven't been. So how about we just start with one or two? And then if you do more, how great is that going to feel, right? Yep. And so understanding like, of course, grace and compassion for yourself when you're not showing up in the way that you want and then troubleshooting and asking yourself why, what's the barrier and deciding to choose differently. But I think like I find that if I see a client who's making like super big goals, I just show them like, okay, what if we backed off of that and we said two or three 
it takes the pressure off. I'm like, how does that feel? Notice uh-huh. in your body, what signals is your nervous system giving you when you let yourself off the hook for being a 10 out of 10? What if you're, you just set a goal that feels really easy? One of my business coaches calls it undergoaling. So you have an undergoal, a goal that feels really easy. And then I find that they feel relief. They feel a little bit more peace and they like that. And they're like, okay, yeah, I can do that. And I'm like, great. That is a perfect affirmation. I can do that. And they go from there. And then that's the evidence. That's the evidence that they can trust themselves. And then they find that, oh, my self-trust is has gone from a six to a seven because I said I was going to do this. It felt really easy. I did it. And now I can do that again next week. And so I think for me, I found that it takes the pressure off and they actually really enjoy that part. That's it. And I love that point in terms of bringing down the goal to something realistic. I always say that I would rather the person who consistently completes two workouts a week than the person who shows up for five times a week, once or twice in the entire course of three months or a year, right? And I think at the end of the day, we maybe underestimate what we can do over the course of a year, but we overestimate what we could do in a week. So I think, like you mentioned, bringing down those expectations and allowing people to gain that trust with themselves and be like, well, actually I've never maintained my gym schedule before. And it's probably because you've been trying to commit to four to five times sessions per week. But when you do go down to that two or three, that's realistic. It's like, well, amazing. Like that's maybe the missing piece. And I also find that a lot of people, and this is maybe the power of having a coach and also having the skill of goal setting as well, is so many of us, we set our goals with the absolute best and motivated version of ourselves in mind, right? We don't recognize that that version of ourselves doesn't show up every single day or every single week. Yet, for some reason, we have this idea that they are going to be ready on a Monday morning every single week, but it's just not the reality, right? That is so true. That's exactly what I was going to say was not setting goals on your best week. When nothing is happening, when your life is absolutely perfect, I'm going (laughs) to set this goal for that kind of scenario. I want you to set goals for an average all week and then also establish some minimums. When life is absolutely lifing and things are crazy, what is your minimum? And be okay with the ebb and flow of your health journey that some days and some weeks I'm going to be at my minimum. And then I can swing forward and I can be you know, more like an eight or a nine, but allow yourself to go back and forth. Because it doesn't matter how much weight you lose if you can't keep it off. I couldn't agree more with that. And transitioning on to going from good to great, I'm curious about when you start to get to this stage in your journey where you're achieving some amazing things, you're really quite happy with where you are, you've maybe traveled up that scale, got yourself to maybe a seven or an eight. What is the difference maker when it comes to taking the step from a seven and eight to a nine or a 10, or I don't actually believe in tens, but let's say a nine to a 9.9 or something along those lines. What are the difference makers there? Because I think a lot of the early stages are establishing the habits, the discipline, the beliefs and the identity. What happens when you get to the stage where all those things are rock solid are in place and you want to take that step to the next level? I tell my clients to start kind of peeling back the layers of your 1.0 self and your 2.0 self. So I start Uh. to, even in their language, I kind of pointed out like, okay, so you think that you are an emotional eater. I'm an emotional eater. When there's sugar, I just can't help myself. And you say that so casually and that's showing up, right? But as they have practiced, like I think, you know, on the spectrum, you're practicing, you're reflecting and then building that evidence. Once you get to the higher level, it's like, Now I can peel away and I can separate my 1.0 self from my 2.0 self. And I can say, I used to be an emotional eater. Like even in your language and your vocabulary of how you're articulating yourself and how you show up, that is what I used to do. And now I'm in full embodiment, right? And understanding too, there's no finish line. If I reach a nine, I may not be a nine forever. I might slip back into an eight or a seven sometimes. And that's okay too. Like we all go through seasons. And so it's not like, you know, once you reach a nine, you'll never be an eight again. That's not true either. And so allowing yourself to understand that you're growing, you can let go of stories that you've told yourself, speak about yourself in the way that in your highest and best embodiment that you actually can get your energy behind But I think that being able to see yourself in that way, to build evidence for the fact that you are that person and then understanding, give yourself grace 
because you'll slide back a little bit too and that's okay. Yeah, I like that. And what I want to bring to you as well is that maybe your 9 out of 10 now looks different. You might still be a 9 out of 10, but your circumstances have changed. I find this with moms a lot, so maybe you can resonate with this too. I have a lot of them comparing their efforts on the health and fitness journey to what they were doing prior to having children and then trying to compare to what they're doing when they're having a 12-month-old and a three-year-old to look after. And I'm like, okay, you might not be able to hit the heights of what you used to, but that doesn't mean you've scaled back to a six or seven out of 10. You're just playing on a new level now. So based on the new level that you're playing, this is an eight out of 10. If you can manage to get your two sessions a week versus three that you did in the past, right now for this season in your journey and in your life, that might well be your eight out of 10. So I think another big thing is just assessing where those standards are based on the changes in your lifestyle as well. Yeah, and so many ladies have come and the scale was like the biggest, most important thing ever. Mm. And then they've worked on their mindset. They've gotten stronger. They've gotten leaner. And then it's so crazy because I swear at some point in our coaching they all of a sudden are like, yeah, I don't really care about the scale as long as I feel good. And I'm like, who is this? Who are <laughs> you? Like, where? when did this happen? It's like a, a switch gets flipped all of a sudden. And I'm like, I want you to go back and listen to our recording of yep. your first call. Because then all of a sudden it's like you are talking like a completely different person. And now the goal is different. Now the goal isn't I just need to lose 20 pounds. Now, maybe like you said, your eight or nine is how do I fit in these jeans? How do I feel in my body? How am I showing up? Am I able to run around with my kids? That might be the new goal. It's not just about the scale. So I think that's so funny when that happens, when they don't anticipate that coming in and then all of a sudden it's not that important anymore. hundred percent. I think a big thing is them recognizing what their goals truly are because of society, expectations, bullying potentially in the past might have set those goals for them. I have so many people who come to me and you ask about their goals and they're like, okay, I need to be 50 kilos or 60 kilos. And they just seem to be attached to this number. And it's fairly arbitrary. You can't really get to the depths of why that is. And then you realize that someone told them that when they were maybe 55 kilos that they were super overweight and they've just attached themselves to that 50 kilo number. And again, not recognizing that maybe they were 18 years old when that happened. And then they go through the changes of life. They develop some curves and some muscle. And then all of a sudden they get to that station. And they're like, well, actually, that wasn't even my goal. That was just mm -hmm. the goal that society and pressure and bullying put on me. I'm actually super happy here, especially when it comes to abs as well, right? Like I find this with men and females. Like, ah, I just want to see those lines in my stomach and everything along those lines. But realistically, they're not even after that. They're just after flat waistline, feeling comfortable in a bikini, feeling comfortable in their clothes. And like you said, fitting into those jeans and feeling themselves, not literally having lines in their abs. Most people don't actually want that, but that was what society placed on them or just this previous belief that they had in themselves. So it's beautiful to see people step away from that and into what they truly want. Right. And comparison is a big thing too with perfectionists. It's like, even if you are comparing to a previous version of yourself, it still puts you in lack and scarcity. So eh. anytime you compare yourself to someone on IG or to anyone else or even previous versions of yourself, you are in lack, you are in scarcity. And the only reason typically we compare ourselves to someone is because we're feeling inferior anyway. And so, I mean, I feel like even if you look at someone and you think you're better than, that still is energy of lack and scarcity. Mm -hmm. So comparison is, you know, the thief of our joy and of our present moment. And so gratitude always brings us back to the present moment. It makes what we have enough and so that we're not always looking for more and more. And I think as far as like letting go of stories, I definitely, even with myself, I was an athlete in college and I turned 40 this past year. And it's so funny. I was talking to a coach and I hadn't yet turned 40. I was 39. So she was talking about, yeah, women 40 plus. And I was like, oh, you're not talking to me because I'm not 40 yet, <laughs> but I was 39 and I'm like, oh crap, like you're talking about me, menopause and all the things like it was such a big like moment and it sounds kind of crazy, but I really just it is shifted like how I think about myself from being an athlete. Like I still think of myself as an athlete. I don't play on anybody's team, but if you try to tell me that I'm not mm -hmm. an athlete, we <laughs> will fight like 
that's just, it's been such a part of my identity and I think it's served me. So I'm going to keep that. But I do feel like who I used to be, like now I have to figure out, you know, what does that look like for me now with, you know, two children and I am feeling my knees getting a little, you know, achy when I'm running on the treadmill and I'm like, oh no, you know, I think it's just like this journey that we're on and not resisting, not fighting what is and being really like getting more comfortable with what is having compassion for where you are, having compassion for previous versions of yourself as well. Um, And then just getting to a place of acceptance and love and evolution and being okay with that. Yeah, I think that's huge. And especially during those transitions in life as well, because I think many of our goals also come from trying to set them from the 22-year-old version of ourselves or the 29-year-old version of ourselves. And once again, not adapting to the reality of the way that it actually is. And I like that piece and what you said and recognizing that you've just not got to resist it. Just kind of got to go with those different waves and if you are resisting it, there's probably some work to do there as well, right? Starting to ask the question of like, well, why are you so resistant to let go of that part of your identity? And it might not be that you need to let go. It just needs to evolve now, right? Right. You can't spend the same time committing to your athletic endeavors as you did when you were a teenager. So what does that look like today? No one's taking away your athlete title and we certainly don't want to get into a fight. So we definitely don't want to be doing that. So it's just about what does that look like today compared to what it looked like when I was a teenager, right? Exactly. I think it's very important that you just allow yourself to be human. You can change and the goal can change and you won't always be the same. And how is that a good thing? How are you a better version of yourself now than you used to be? And if you don't know the answer to that, spending time, Figuring that out and why that's true is a much better use of your brain energy than wanting something that has already passed. Whenever you resist our current moment, you will always suffer. There's so much suffrage in resisting what is. So how can you figure out how this is the best outcome? And spend some more time there. Yeah, reflection sounds like a big piece of what you do as well. And I think it's maybe the missing key in our generation in the sense of not really understanding the things that happened and therefore continuing to repeat the same mistakes, et cetera, et cetera. So when it comes to the reflection that you do with yourself personally and the clients that you work with as well, how do you get them to put that into a week-to-week and day-to-day thing to allow them to learn from their past in a good and a bad way? It's so simple. So check in every Saturday or whatever day works for you, but for my clients, Every Saturday, there's questions in their form. What went well this week? What did not go well this week? How can I troubleshoot what didn't go well? <laughs> it's so simple. That's going to take you five minutes. Like, And that five minutes is so worth it because you don't have to spend time reinventing the wheel. You don't have to spend time beating yourself up. It wasn't a horrible week. It's like, I missed one workout, and so this week was just horrible. Was it a horrible week, or did you just miss one workout, Uh right? Don't catastrophize one thing. I want you to really, like, break it apart and see, like, what went well, what did not go well, and don't, like, categorize or label your entire week as trash because you missed a workout. So I think it can be really, really simple, and I find that so many people don't have a check-in on their calendar, And that is so huge. Just put it on your calendar. If you use Google Calendar or if you're an iPhone person, whatever, paper, calendar, put it on your calendar. This is an appointment with yourself to reflect what went well, what did not go well, and how can I do better next week? And make that goal super duper simple. Undergoal it. Make it feel so simple. You'll never have two bad weeks in a row. And at the end of the day, that's going to help you stay on track. It's so simple. What do you encourage people to do with that information once they see what's written down on paper on their iPhone? So if you are making actionable goals, it should be something that you can literally see in your mind. Like if I'm like, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm not drinking enough water. I didn't drink enough water last week. How can I do better? Okay, I'm going to prep my water. So maybe I have, you know, my five water bottles. I'm going to put those in the refrigerator because I know if, if I have cold water versus room temperature water, I'm going to drink more water. So I'm going to put those in the refrigerator on Saturday night and then I'll that will automatically set my environment up to be able to drink more water. Like it can literally be that simple. I have people who I'm like, okay, how can we get you to actually get up in the morning and get your workout in? It might be something like, 
I'm going to work out three times this week and I'm going to pick out my clothes Saturday night. I'm going to pick out three outfits. I'm going to put them out and like they're just out in my bedroom versus like in the drawer. And that just helps them to see it and setting up their environment to be conducive. Because sometimes we think like there's a character flaw, like I'm not self-disciplined. It could be that I could just set my environment up for me to have the affinity to do this more often. It could literally be that simple. It doesn't have to be hard. And I think that consistency is not this big, giant block. It literally is about managing little moments, little bitty moments and chunking that. And that makes it feel more doable. And then when you reflect and you look back, you're like, oh, I'm doing it. And I I think that feels great. Yeah, I love this piece on not underestimating the simple things. Because I think that that's something that we've taken away from the entire conversation is that simplicity is probably very overrated, to be completely honest. It almost seems like those small steps can't amount to anything big, but those are more than likely the key to your success. Exactly. I think I just posted on my Facebook the other day. It was like, here's what consistency looks like. And consistency was like these five circles and they were all filled in and they were all like uniform. But consistency actually means like sometimes it's half full, sometimes it's a quarter full, sometimes it's all the way. And that is consistency. I think we have, uh, I always say consistency is not perfection. We think because we're not perfect, we're not consistent. And that's not true. That's just another reframe. Like maybe I am consistent because I guarantee you, you're consistent at something. You already have the skill to be consistent. It's just like, is what you're being consistent in giving you the result that you want? And if not, how can you transfer that skill of being consistent because you already have that to the thing that is going to help you reach your goal? Yeah, that's huge. And it's all about that transferable skill because like you said, everyone is consistent at something or they've had a situation in their life where they have been. So it's just about taking that then obviously applying it in the direction that we want to. So I love that. So this has been an awesome conversation. I do want to take a bit of a sharp segue because I'm curious about a question I have. Have you seen the documentary on Netflix called Breakpoint? I have not. It's fantastic. (laughs) It's about up and coming tennis players, right? You know how the tennis world has been dominated by Federer, has been dominated by Djokovic and Nadal. And basically it's got a bunch of up and coming tennis players and Netflix, you know what they do. They present it in this awesome way. So it's a great documentary. And there is an athlete in this documentary called Francis Tiafo. You might've heard of him. He's an American tennis player and he's one of the highest ranking American tennis players. And he's also a black guy. And he always speaks about the importance of representing black people in a predominantly white people's sport. And I've noticed in a lot of your posts, you always hashtag or almost always hashtag black dietitian or black woman workout. And I'm curious because of the industry isn't necessarily dominated completely by white quote unquote people, but how important is it for you to represent black people in the industry that you're in, specifically dietitians as well, but also coaches too. I'm really curious to get your take on that. Yeah, I think it's actually super important because the last time I checked, Black women make up 2% of our profession. So there's not a ton of black women dietitians. Dietitian is different than a nutritionist in that there are certain criteria that you have to meet to say, like, I am a registered dietitian. And that I'm 2% of the population in America. So I think that is really important because there are cultural differences in terms of like food, but then also like what black women want like how we like to look and I think that it's just like a level of comfort to see women and representation is so very important and I think that it's important to be visible and that people know that yes there is someone that looks like you can who can understand like your language and your culture and what you like and our like the way that we eat and the way that we talk about food and when we gather You know, what that sounds like from your aunties that have things to say about your weight and how much you're eating and how much you're not eating and how skinny you are and all of these things. And I think that is really important. And, you know, I feel like I don't ever search through hashtags, but I think like I was told to put hashtags. But I think that I naturally attract other black women because I'm a black woman. And so I think I try to be more visible for those people who do search through hashtags so that they can maybe find me on the internet and know that there are other people who look like them that are doing this work. Yeah, I love that. And you mentioned, obviously, representation is a big part of the puzzle. And you putting yourself out there on social media and podcasts and everything along those lines is doing a lot to hopefully inspire someone who maybe, like you mentioned, doesn't see many people who look like them, sound like them. 
and they don't see that path to where they could potentially be, what do you think will help raise that percentage? 2% is a pretty low percentage. So what do you think is going to raise it? And do you see that happening across the next five years, 10 years? You know, I think, I would hope that we are more vigilant with letting people know that this is even a profession. Because I think that even when I was in school, which was a really long time ago, (laughs) I decided to major in nutrition because I didn't want to major in kinesiology because I felt like all the athletes were kinesi majors and I didn't want to be regular. So I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And so I actually didn't even know what a registered dietitian did. I just knew that I like science and I knew I liked nutrition. And I was like, yeah, let me try that. And so I picked that profession and I'm glad I did, but I don't think I really knew what I was doing when I was going into that. And because I feel like you don't see many black women or even black men, I don't even know what the statistic is for black men. I'm not sure if I've Uh. ever, I'm not sure if I've personally ever met a black male dietitian. I'm not sure if I have. So I think that I'm doing my work. I'm trying to be more visible and let people know that there are more of us out here. But I do think that you know, reaching out to like different schools, reaching out to women of color to pursue careers in nutrition and fitness, and then just being your authentic self and letting your light shine and saying what on your heart and not trying to conform and let people come to you. Like my people, my clients, I love my clients. Because my clients, they resonate with me because I'm a super just genuine, authentic person. Mm-hmm. And so that naturally, I naturally bring in people who are like right on the same vibe as me. And I think that's just really important. I love that, Stephanie. And I think you're doing a great job of putting yourself out there and placing, you know, people on the map who are able to then look up to you, aspire to you, and then essentially see, like you said, this is a path, you know, and everything that I could possibly want or choose for myself is a path. And it's just like about overcoming those previous ways of thinking and those previous ways of living as well and everything that has been up until this point and just like you said putting yourself out there showing as a path and then being authentic and living your best self and i love that you're doing a lot of that and i trust that this podcast is going to allow us to put you on the map even more so with that being said i've got a couple of final questions for you and the first is what impact do you want to have on the world with the work that you do i want to show people that number one Your journey is your journey and it's up to you. It's your responsibility to manage your mind, your manager emotions, and to understand what motivates you. And so motivation is not butterflies, right? It's not like the adrenaline. It's just the energy it takes to overcome the resistance. And if I can get more women to own their own power and show up the way they want to, and own whatever body it is that you want to live in and just do that to the highest potential, then I feel like I've done my work. But it starts with you and your own responsibility. Amazing. And where is the best place for people to find you if they want to keep up the work that you're doing? I hang out a lot on Facebook. So I have a Facebook group, Weight Loss for Perfectionists from Fit Culture for Her. I also have a podcast, The Fit Figure Formula as well. I am on IG at Stephanie underscore Riles underscore coach. And I'm trying to do better <laughs> more with reels. My 16-year-old is helping me with that. She's uh, just hired her as my new reels manager. So I'm going to be on IG more often as well, yeah. too. But normally, I'm a Facebook girl. Amazing. We'll make sure all of those are in the show notes below. But Stephanie, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a fascinating and a really enjoyable conversation. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Pleasure is mine. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.